The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Good evening, and welcome to this, your worst nightmare. <laughs> the following program is a podcastwarn.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzy. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the part of the now, and rock and roll now. The spell you win now will be broken by Chris Jericho. Woo, the People's Podcast has arrived. The remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride. We're not gonna take it. No, we ain't gonna take it. We're not gonna take it. Many more now, 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 Extra crazy today, you know why? Cause it's Friday! All right, today I've got the godfather of gore, Tom Savini here. Man, I wish my nickname was the godfather of gore. You know, even if you don't recognize the name, you will recognize the face. You have seen him in so many movies, and so many of his creations are pop culture icons. Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th, the zombies from Night of the Living Dead, also from Dawn of the Dead, Tales from the Dark Side, Creep Show, all the creepy uh, cockroaches. Plus, he's been in Django Unchained. He's been in Inglorious Bastards. He is Sex Machine from Dust Till Dawn. You know Tom Savini. You've seen his work in the movies. You've seen his special effects. You've seen his makeup. You've seen his acting, his stuntman performance. He is a horror movie legend. And he's on the show. Today we're going to give us some great secrets and some good movie set stories. Some great stories about Quinton Tarantino. But before we get to the Godfather of Gore, I just want to say thanks to all of you who have subscribed to Talk is Jericho on iTunes. Thanks to all of you for leaving five-star ratings and comments. Appreciate all the love and affection. If you're digging the show, I want you to tell your friends about us. I'll do the same. I'm going to share some of the comments and do some shout-outs after Tom Savini. And a big, big thanks to all of you doing your Amazon shopping through my links, podcastone.com. That's the easiest way to support the show, Amazon. Proud sponsor of Talk is Jericho. Every time you shop at Amazon through my link, Amazon gives you a small percentage of your purchase back to the show. Help cover production costs. Help cover cowbell restoration costs. You don't have to buy any special. It won't cost you anything extra. So if you're going to go shopping, please go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. 
Go check it out. I've got Amazon links up there for the Canada, for the UK, and for the... Everybody's going Amazon. Amazon USA. My voice is shot from too much yelling and screaming and rocking. But you know how it goes. You get the idea. You know the deal. Thank you again for supporting the show. Supporting the show. Thank you so much for supporting the show. All right. Hope you guys are doing amazeballs. We are, I'm here in uh, Australia right now. Haven't been to Australia to wrestle for nine years, and now I'm back. It's great to be back. Uh, I've been here so many times with Fozzie, but um, it's cool to come back and get a chance to rock it with all of my Australian Jericho-holics here in Melbourne, Sydney, and Perth. Had a great night in Melbourne last night, and uh, a special moment because my friend Daniel House who you know from the uh, Talk is Jericho YouTube channel. The show was on the uh, Podcast One YouTube channel that I actually interviewed Daniel. Terminal cancer, great guy who keeps telling cancer to F off, man, and keeps surviving and doing his thing. He uh, actually proposed to his girlfriend, Michaela, in the ring at the WWE show last night. It was an amazing experience. Of course, when he asked his girlfriend, will you marry me? The amazing members of WWE Melbourne Universe. Guess what they said? Yes. 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 (laughs) It was a great moment in time. And it's always cool when we can use our powers, uh, use all these amazing things, all these gifts that we're given, and use them to really help people out and uh, help all the members of the WWE Universe do different things. And, of course, last night, Daniel House got to proposed to his girlfriend Michaela and it was such an emotional moment something I'll never ever forget again uh so excited to have Tom Savini on the show so excited to um be able to say that do you want to start a war the new Fozzy record debuted at number 54 on the charts such a cool moment uh lights go out still uh, bigger than ever Top 40, but the record's very eclectic, very diverse, lots of cool uh, different types of songs, different types of moments. Um, There's some great pop songs. If you're talking about Do You Want to Start a War, you're talking about Lights Go Out, you're talking about One Crazy Anarchist tonight. There is a couple ballads, Scarecrow and Died With You, and a couple of super fast, crazy thrashers. Um, Bad Tattoo is a good one. Brides of Fire is a good one. Uh, well, one of my favorites is Witchery a horror movie-related song that's based on uh, American Horror Story Coven, the killer, killer show that's on, uh, I think it's on FX, and uh, it's got some uh, real kind of cool horror movie elements to it. So in honor of Mr. Savine, I am going to play Witchery, the scariest song from do you want to start a war and we're going to do that right now so here you go if you haven't heard it yet if you still haven't gone out and checked out do you want to start a war what are you waiting for if you're looking for something a little scary looking for something a little bit uh, creepy a little bit horror movie-esque then you're gonna love this here's witchery by Fozzie right here on talk is jericho <laughs>
All right, what'd you think of Witchery? Cool, right? Some scary moments in there. Amazing bass solo from Paulie D, Paul DeLeo uh, at the end of that. There's even a backwards message at the end of that song that Rich put in there that originally we were going to take Flavor Flav saying, yeah, boy, and put it backwards, but it just sounded like uh, Elmer Fudd or something. So I believe it's some uh, blues guy saying, take your guitar back to town. Uh, and put that backwards, and you get the cool backwards message at the end of Witchery. I also love the fact that it's got this really cool like journey, na-na-na uh, type thing right in the middle of this crazy, thrashy, metalcore type song. And why do we do that? Because we can. Because as you know, the only rule for Do You Want to Start a War is there are no rules. Tom Savini is here. Horror movie legend. One of my favorite horror movies. People ask me that all the time. I have to say the original Halloween. Uh, So many amazing stories in that. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Not stories, so many amazing scenes. My favorite, Jamie Lee Curtis in the closet. When the shape, Michael Myers, is coming in the closet trying to catch her. She's hiding in the closet. He finds her. So creepy and scary. Also, a little known fact that the mask for Michael Myers was actually a... Uh, mask of a Talk is Jericho alumni spray painted white and that alumni you know who it was William Shatner exactly the shape Michael Myers the mask he wore that white mask the iconic white mask was actually a Captain Kirk mask that they found at a hardware store and spray painted white also love uh, the original Dawn of the Dead that Tom Savini did the makeup on he's going to tell us all about the stories of the makeup for Dawn of the Dead, and I like the uh, the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which I wasn't sure that I would like it, but it actually turned out to be pretty cool. Uh, I'm not a big fan of horror movie remakes, but that one was killer. I think his name is Zack Snyder, or uh, maybe Zack Ryder, I'm not sure. Did a great job of just the uh, overall amazing speed of the uh, movie and the uh, just the way they rewrote it. Very, very, very cool. Also loved, here's an interesting one, Omen 2, Damien Omen 2. I love the uh, the Omen movies, always freaked me out because the Antichrist could be real. It's not some kind of a, you know, giant yeti or something. It's the Antichrist, de- demonic possession, the end of times, uh, the Bible, the revelations really freaked me out. Whenever I see Damien Omen 2, even though it's a little cheesy nowadays, still an amazing, amazing, uh, scary movie. Amityville 2, The Possession which was a movie that focused on the reason why the Amityville horror house was haunted. Freaked me out as well. Um, Still one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I saw that in the theaters when I was 12, and it's scarred me ever since. Bloodsucking Freaks, where I got the idea for the name Ralphus. Another great movie uh, from the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. Herschel Gordon-Lewis did that one. Also love Sleepaway Camp. I love Basket Case. Uh, Sleepaway Camp 2. Um, so many very cool horror movies that I've been obsessed with. Conjuring was another one that was really super scary. The Strangers. Oh, what a scary movie that was. Actually, I think uh, Eric Rowan with his sheep mask or lamb mask got that idea from the original uh, Strangers movie. So a lot of creepy movies. Of course, Jason Voorhees, one of the scariest movie monsters of all time, created by my friend and huge wrestling fan, Tom Savini. He is going to be here in just a few minutes. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. And on the line with me right now, the godfather of gore, the sultan of splatter, Tom Savini is here. Yay! Yay! <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great, man. One of the coolest things about uh, being on the road and being in the WWE is when you meet certain people that you are uh, kind of have a mutual respect for, a mutual, uh, I guess, fan fandom for. 
And I met you years ago, and as soon as I saw you across the crowded room in catering or something like that in Pittsburgh backstage, I was like, is that Tom Savini? What's he doing here? And it turns out that you were a big wrestling fan for many years uh, as well. Yeah, but we actually met at a horror convention before that. Uh, I don't remember which. I don't remember which one, but you were um, you were fascinated by the cockroaches from Creepshow. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's uh, one of the one of the films that you did the effects for was Creepshow, and it was I believe it was E. G. Marshall, and he was he was. Um, he was like a, a, a cleanliness nut, like a germaphobe. He hated bugs. And, of course, he lived in a stainless steel house. And at the end, he just gets attacked by this army of cockroaches. Yeah. And you, yeah. you did the effects for that. Yeah, there were 28,000 cockroaches they collected from caves in Trinidad. The stories the entomologists told of collecting those roaches is scarier than any movie you've ever seen. I mean, it was, uh, you know, the, the roaches live in bat guano, bat dung, and they had to dig holes, and the hole would fill up, and they would throw them in plastic bags, and they brought them back to America. And thousands of them escaped in, in Pittsburgh. Well, it's 28,000 cockroaches on set? How could you even do that? Well, they collected 10,000, and then they bred, they bred 18,000 more. <laughs> They uh, they lived in a trailer that we called the Roach Motel, okay? <laughs> and the biggest ones were named uh, uh, Steve's after Stephen King. Mm-hmm. The, middle, the middle ones were Richard's, and the smallest ones were George's. So George Romero could say, bring me 10,000 Richard's and, you know, five thousand. But as soon as he laid them out, they disappeared. So most of the roaches were uh, peanut shells painted black, and the real roaches were put over those. Well, and so what, was it like a tube that you that you dump all the roaches into that syringes. I had big, big syringes. Like when they came out of E.G. Marshall, it was a dummy, uh, and um, the syringes were loaded from below by the entomologist because I never was in the same room with uh-huh. those things. I, I hate bugs. You know, I was <laughs> never. I would, I would, I would look through a window into a sealed room and say, "Okay, cue the blood, cue the roaches," and the entomologist would pump them, and they would force them out of, you know, E.G. Marshall's mouth and chest, you know. Jeez, it's, pretty... it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. You know, I know we've just jumped right in here, but all of the uh, amazing effects and and creatures that you've created, I mean, I know you started years and years and years ago, but from from Jason Voorhees to, I mean, the original Dawn of the Dead to Creepshow, so many, so many classic, iconic images created by you, by Tom Savini. How did all of this start, Tom? I mean, how did you get involved in this, and how did you become, like, kind of the, the, the godfather of gore, so to speak, the go-to guy for early 80s uh, splatter films? Well, you know, my interest, um, I was in the right place at the right time, and I tell my students this all the time. You know, I have a school here that teaches this stuff, right? you know, in, uh, in Pittsburgh. And I tell my students, don't, don't go to 7-Eleven without your portfolio, because you never know if you're going to meet the person who can help or hire you. I was lucky that George Romero is from Pittsburgh and did his movies here. So Dawn of the Dead was something I did with him, and then Friday the 13th came right afterwards. You know, I created Jason for the Friday the 13th movies, but uh, I was in the right place at the right time. But my interest began when I was around 11. I saw this movie called Man of a Thousand Faces, the story of Lon Chaney. Mm-hmm. Lon Chaney, if, uh, if people don't know, was sort of a silent movie star. He was the first uh, friend of the opera and the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and he did his own makeup. And this movie was about him, and it starred James Cagney as Lon Chaney. And I flipped out. I just totally flipped out. I thought of nothing from that point on but makeup. Um, I have a son named Lon after Lon Chaney. <laughs> he has a daughter named Chaney. You know, I'm afraid people might think she was named after Dick Chaney, but no, it's Lon, <laughs> it's Lon Chaney. But so this this movie and this guy just you know flipped me out and changed my whole life. Now, so obviously, you know, you had this affinity f- for, for makeup and for kind of the dark side of life. Um, I know that the you were also... The dark side of life. The dark s- Always look on the dark side of life. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but I, I uh, you were actually also a, a combat photographer in Vietnam. Um, yeah. I mean, you must have seen some pretty horrific images doing that uh, as well. Well, that's, that's where my... That's where my reputation comes from. You know, like I said, I started when I was 11. Vietnam, to me, was a lesson in anatomy mm-hmm. and, and realistic, well, real, 
death. Yeah. So, um, you know, I tried to incorporate what I saw there. You know, but, but part, of, part of what kept me sane was looking through the camera and wondering, how would I create what I'm saying? How would I create that? Oh, right. How would I create this guy blown in half or an arm severed or, you know, a uh-huh. horrible disfigurement to the face? You know, the face, this is, what, this is what makes me mad about movies. You know, they don't depict death the way I saw it, for real. You know, the, the, the muscles in your jaw are, just don't work anymore, so... Everybody, the mouth is slack open. The, the jaw is you know, slack jawed. Mm-hmm. I hate when people in movies die and they close their mouth and they want to look pretty for the camera. This is not the way it is. I mean, mm-hmm. the jaw always goes slack. If I ever do a zombie flick, and I am up to do one, uh, the zombies are all going to be slack jawed because, it, you know, this is, doesn't work anymore when you're dead. So mm-hmm. but, uh, it was a lesson in anatomy. It was how do I create this stuff realistically? So <clears throat> the fake stuff that I was creating, if it didn't give me the same feeling I got when I saw the real stuff, then the fake stuff wasn't real enough. And that's where my reputation for realism came from. So did you get drafted? No, I enlisted. I enlisted to stay out of Vietnam. You know, if you're drafted, you go into infantry. But if you enlist, you get your choice of schools. Well, I was already a photographer. You know, I was already a photographer. I already had a dark room in my house, a color dark room. Uh So I figured I figured the army photo school would be a breeze. And it was. And I maxed it, so uh, I must have been good because they sent me right over to Vietnam <laughs> after, after the photo school. You know, so. that's that's very interesting. How how you could kind of you I guess turn yourself in, but if you did turn yourself into the U.S. Army, you could choose exactly whatever you wanted to do instead of the infantry. That was actually a pretty smart move. Well, it was. Yeah, I get told that a lot, uh, but you know, I was still there. I still saw horrible stuff. You know, I wasn't in the front lines like mm-hmm. the grunts. Those grunts would come into base camp, you know, every couple of months, and they were zombies. You look in their eyes, and they were gone, you know, mm. the stuff they were seeing. And I, and that's why so many of them come back. And, you know, my marriage went right in the toilet, and I wasn't even in the thrust of things. Right. You, can, you know the problems they had and still have, you know. Sure. Did you... Um, did- yeah, did you have to? Did you have to learn like do basic training and all that stuff too? Did you have to learn how to shoot oh. a gun and everything? Oh hell yeah, that was first. Okay, basic basic training was first, and then the army photo school, and then after the photo school, because of going to Vietnam, you went to this special combat training thing, you know. Oh, and that that was scary stuff because you know you had weapons and everybody had blanks, but they threw you in combat situations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to get you used to, um, you know, being fired at and stuff, you know. Um, you know, Vietnam was kind of scary. You have, um, you you know, after six months, you're allowed to go on R&R, which, you know, some guys went to Japan, some guys went, most of the guys went to Australia. I went to Hawaii mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, hook up with my wife at the time. and uh, But I waited until my 10th month uh, because I didn't want to come back to Vietnam and have six months left. I came back and had two months left. Smart, but yeah. they put me. But they put me on the worst duty possible. It was thirty days of guard duty, which means you're in a you're in a tower uh, with four guys, uh, two guys below, two guys above, and there's the woods. So if they come at you, you know you're the first contact. You know. Wow. So uh, this was bad, but um, um, and you put real real quick. You put trip flares in front of your your little bunker there, and there's seven bunkers. They're about fifty yards apart, and there's an officer in the first one. But if you see you know, a thousand Viet Cong running at you. You were not allowed to open fire. Mm-hmm. You had to call the command bunker, call the officer, and he would come with a night scope. And if he saw them, he would have to call battalions, you know, before you were allowed to open fire. Right. That's just, that's just the way it was. So one night, it's two o'clock in the morning, and um, my trip flares go off. And I immediately, I immediately opened fire. I started, and my, the guys in my bunker, they all opened fire. And every bunker was like an arsenal. We had Claymore mines, we had grenade launchers. We're setting off everything. And then every bunker is opening fire in front of my bunker. And it was a duck. <laughs> a duck is what you were a shooting duck, at? A duck had tripped my, had uh, set off my trip flare. So uh, <laughs> they took me off guard duty. And the rest of my time in Vietnam, I was called the duck slayer, okay? Um, <laughs> but, 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 the next night, the next night, we were attacked for real. Guys died in those bunkers. I wasn't there because they took me off the guard duty because of the night before. Wow. The, the duck saved my life. I, I never eat duck. 
I mean, to this day, I never eat duck because <laughs> a duck saved my life. <laughs> that is a crazy story, man. Yeah, know, and paying back the duck, uh, the duck species by not eating them. That's, That's the, right. That's wow. Right. So, uh, so you you basically escape Vietnam uh, by the skin of your teeth, thanks to thanks to the duck. Thanks and, to the duck. And you mentioned that you, that you grew up in Pittsburgh, and as did George uh, George Romero. How did you hook up with him for for Dawn of the Dead? Well, um, I had he came to my high school when I was a sophomore, looking for a young actor for a screen test. Uh, he picked me out of fifteen hundred students. Wow! And um, the movie never got made. It was called Wine of the Fawn. Never got made. Mm-hmm. So years later, I heard he was doing Night Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. and I took my portfolio down there. And he was very busy. I followed him from office to office, flipping pages and showing him. He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can use you on this gig, okay?" <laughs> but then, then I was then the army called me in, you know, because you when you enlist, you have one hundred and forty days, and they call you within that time. So I was in Vietnam. When he made a Night of the Living Dead, so mm-hmm. we kind of had a we kind of had a history. So after I got back from Vietnam and uh, I went through seven years of like you know uh, repertory theater, makeup director for a couple of theaters, I came back to Pittsburgh to take advantage of the GI Bill, and he was gearing up to do a movie called uh, Martin. Mm-hmm. So I went down there and uh, uh, I wanted to be a vampire, but it was already cast. So I did mm-hmm. Martin with him, and then Dawn of the Dead was next. You know, so uh, like I said, we had a history. He knew I did effects, and for Donald, I, you know, I went back to Carolina and was doing a play, and I got a telegram from him that said, uh, we got another gig, start thinking of ways to kill people, and that was, <laughs> that was Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> so, so you actually were, were kind of uh, an actor first, a special effects uh, guy second. Well, no, because uh, makeup effects was always my first love. I, I would put the makeup kit up in the attic and forget about it and try to pursue acting. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it always called my name and kept calling me back to it. But um, I have a history. You know, I was a, I was an acting directing major at Carnegie Mellon University. Okay. And um, did like, like I said, I did seven years of uh, repertory theater. So acting was always. And you know, every time I did effects in a movie, I tried to play a part in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has led to. Now just parts, you know. I don't do makeup effects anymore for a right. living. Right. I have the school, of course. I mean, uh, I was in the last one, Django Unchained. I was in that. I just did Machete Kills. The biggest. Thing oh was, yeah. You know, the biggest thing was Dust Till Dawn with that, you know, crotch rocket that I wore. You know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I want to, I want to talk all about that. But, but, okay. but, 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 just to ask. Going to back to the Dawn of the Dead, um, you know nowadays zombies, do, zombie movies, you see one every every you know every month. Walking Dead is so popular. Zombies are kind yeah. of like the in thing. Back in 1978, when Dawn of the Dead was being made, that I mean, obviously Night of the Living Dead was was the first, but that was the first zombie movie that was ever on my radar, and probably one of the probably the biggest zombie movie ever made at the time. What were your instructions from George as far as creating all of these zombies? Uh, basically, having no temp. Because Dawn of the Dead and your makeup basically set the tone for zombie makeup even up until this day. Um, I agree. I mean, when you think of a uh, zombie movie, classic zombie movie, the first thing you think of is Dawn of the Dead. Absolutely. Um, and there was no, there were no instructions from George. You know, this movie was in color. Night mm. of the Living Dead was in black and white. Yes. So you know, my premise then was just just to paint the zombies gray. Mm-hmm. That would, then you would see the difference between human beings and zombies simply because they're gray. But the lighting changed inside the mall, outdoors. Sometimes they look blue, sometimes they look green, mm-hmm. you know. So, but it was always gray makeup on them, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we did special stuff. You know, I had a, you know, it was just me. It was just me and, a, and, a, and a, you know, an assistant. We did all that stuff uh, in Dawn of the Dead. Um, but George, you know, most of the stuff in that movie uh, was not in the script, Hmm. We would just come up with, I, I literally took George's telegram at, its, at, it, at what it said, start thinking of ways to kill people. Mm-hmm. So we would sit around and, you know, hey, how about if we drive a screwdriver through a zombie's gear? That's right, yeah. You know, we'd go to George and say, you know, we'd ask him that, and he'll go, okay. So, <laughs> you know, it was a couple hours later, we're, we're painting soda stars silver and cutting screwdrivers in half and making retractable screwdrivers with blood that would come out of us. You know, we were creating the stuff. And so we came up with, uh, well, I, because like I said, it's just me and whoever in the system I could grab at the time, would come up with uh, the, the ways to kill people. And George just let us do it. That's what's great about George. As an actor, he lets you improvise. 
And that's an effects guy here that you improvise. But the but but what you said about Dawn of the Dead, you know, uh, the the template for what's going on today. I think the sequel to Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. really really set that mark because that's my masterpiece. The stuff I did in that movie, and in that movie, the zombies were not just painted gray. Every zombie was different mm-hmm. because having coroner friends, you know, Doctor Cyril Weck and guys like that, who I would ask for advice. You know, if you're if you die in an attic, or and you and someone else dies in the basement, you're going to look a lot different than the guy that died in the attic. You That's know? right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in a wet basement or a dry, sunny, hot attic, or ethnic groups. You know, you you will look different. You just the way people die. Not everybody looks the same. Uh, you know, you'll be bloated in the basement and and fried in the attic. Uh, mm-hmm. But and your skin, the skin color is all going to be different. So, and the first sign of that is when. Uh, Laurie Cardill in Day of the Dead is, is looking at a counter on the wall, and all these zombie hands come through the walls at her, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they're all different. So that was, that was really the beginning, I think, Day of the Dead. And, I, you know, I just did a convention. I just did the San Francisco thing uh, and sat there with Greg Nicotero and his family the whole weekend. Greg is the exec producer on The Walking Dead. Yes. Uh, I met him when he was 14. He worked for me on a bunch of films, including, you know, Day of the Dead. And now that's what he does. He's the king of zombies today. So he he was kind of like your protege, and now uh, and now the the lineage lives on. Exactly, I passed on the torch. But yeah. but you had a, a pretty great death in Dawn of the Dead. I mean, you were you're one of the bikers that invades the mall. And if I if I recall, aren't you the guy that went to check your blood pressure? No, no, everybody thinks that's me, but it wasn't. That's a guy named. Uh, Pat Booba. He was actually one of the editors. Of okay. Them. That was a great death, though. The guy goes to put his, his uh, arm in one of those old-school yeah. blood pressure-checking things just because he wants to, and, of course, he can't get out in time, and the zombies rip his arm off, That's and the right. blood pressure goes from, you know, 80 over 20 to, like, zero. <laughs> I, don't why, I don't know why everybody thinks that's me, because later in the film, you know, I'm the leader of the bike gang. Yeah. I got Ken Foray. I, I chased Ken Foray up into the ceiling. And he suits me, and I go over the balcony into the fountain. That was my big death in Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess everyone thinks that. Because that, doesn't he get his, uh, his arm pulled out and then get completely eviscerated where the zombies are just pulling his entrails out? Well, that's another guy. That's Tasso, one of my best. He was my <laughs> assistant. He was my stunt partner, because I also did all the stunts in that movie. Wow. Every time a zombie gets hit by a truck or... You know, is is kicked backwards. I got the blonde girl that gets kicked out. That's me in the blonde wig. Oh wow! So I I brought Tasso in, and he uh, he helped me do uh, a lot of the stunts. You know. So so let's let's film. let's talk when you're talking about let's say pulling all the entrails out. What exactly is that? Pig entrails. <clears throat> Pig entrails from a slaughterhouse. Oh. Now um, I was just at, you know at this convention I was just talking about somebody asked the questions you know how come you use real pig intestines. Why couldn't you just make some rubber ones, you know? Mm -hmm. And my reply was, and this is the truth, that nothing moves and slides and slithers and splats and hits the floor like the real thing, you know? (laughs) I try to, you know, even in Day of the Dead, uh, you know, they tear tear the bad guy apart and, you know, his guts are all over the place. Unfortunately, um, in that case, uh, you know, we all... We we used the same five gallon drum of pig guts all through the movie, mm-hmm. and we kept it we kept it in the refrigerator. Now we went to Florida for three weeks to do some shooting down there. While we were gone, somebody unplugged the refrigerator, Oof. so these guts were just rotting and rancid. And those <laughs> are the guts we used for the for tearing the bad guy apart. You know, it's two o'clock in the morning. You can't go out and get new pig intestines just anywhere. Oh. So we all had gas masks on and English leather on our lips and wax up our noses. But the poor guy, the poor victim, he was trapped in the floor. Joe Pilato, he was trapped in the floor. And you would see anything up his nose, you know. Uh. So he, he had to lie there for hours and hours with that rotting pig intestines, you know, under uh. his rubber chest. I that was horrible. He was ready to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned you can't just go get more pig entrails. Where do you get them in the first place? Just go to the local slaughterhouse and go to the pig entrails section? You can't get them today. You can't get them today. Oh. Uh, maybe from a place called Carolina Biological, you might be able to get some. But uh, there were, back then, there were, yeah, slaughterhouses that, uh, 
you could just uh, ask, can I come and get a bucket of pig entrails? Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you know, a few years later, now you've really kind of made your name with Dawn of the Dead, and you do Creep Show, as we talked about earlier, and uh, all these really cool, cool movies and effects. How did the gig come up for for um, for Jason Voorhees and Friday the Thirteenth? I mean, you basically created that iconic character, right? The look yeah, and everything. I mean, uh, yeah, after Dawn of the Dead, I mean, there 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 were producers, and lucky me, there were a lot of horror movies, you know, being produced back then. And yeah, there was in the early eighties. It was kind of the big thing, right? A lot of slasher movies then. That was the age of the splatter movie. The yeah, 80s, you know, so. So Sean Cunningham, you know, uh, wanting, uh, being one of the producers, uh, wanting the same success as, you know, Don of the Dead, hired this, uh, called the same guy, me. Mm-hmm. So I had a meeting with him, and they, they had no ending to the script and uh, uh, and no really um, you know, spelled out uh, description of Jason. You know, Jason was this guy I saw around my neighborhood when I was a kid. He was kind of deformed, had one ear lower than the other. He looked like Quasimodo. So that's what I based Jason on. This guy I saw when I was... Oh, there. you based him on somebody that you really knew. Yeah, a guy named Bill Bailey, uh, just a derelict, uh, when I, a drunk when I was a kid walking around the neighborhood. Hmm. And um, But the end of Friday the 13th, that's something I came up with, was you know, Jason coming up out of the water and grabbing the girl, because I had just seen Carrie. Oh, yeah. You know, in the movie, in the movie Carrie, at the end of it, you know, uh, uh, you know Carrie's you know, gone, and, and you sing, and the music starts playing like the credits are going to roll any minute. And that hand comes out of the grave and just scares the crap out of me. You know? Yeah. So I said, we should do the same thing. And they says, well, how? Jason didn't exist. You know, he's, he's a kid. that Well, he make it a dream. You know, when audiences see dreams, they, they accept whatever goes on in them. Yeah. You know, there was a whole, wasn't, wasn't Dallas or wasn't, wasn't a, a whole year of Dallas? Dallas was a dream, yeah. A dream, you know, and people just buy that shit. You know? St. Elsewhere was, was all uh, an autistic boy's daydream as well. That whole show really? was St. Elsewhere, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> the, ultimate, uh, the ultimate swerve. Yeah. But so, but I, so I came up with Jason coming out of the water because I saw Carrie. And that scared the hell out of people. And, uh, and the movie, you know, I didn't do part two. Cause they offered me part two. But they had Jason running around, and, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, the mother was the killer in the first movie. Jason was a kid that died, you know? Right. And then uh, they didn't offer me part three. Um, but the series was waning, so the part four is actually called the final chapter. <laughs> yes, right. That was going to be the last one, because, you know, but, and then, then they, they called, they hired me again. Um, so it's like, it's, it's a Frankenstein syndrome. I got to create Jason in part one and I got to kill him in part four. <laughs> you know, I cut his, I cut his brain in half. I cut his head in half. You know, he lands on the machete and slides down it. And that made so much money, that movie, that we're going to see a Friday the 13th, part 13. And believe it or not, I'm, I'm kind of being, in, I mean, I'm being considered to direct that next Friday the 13th movie. Wow. Well, that, that's yeah. even the Frankenstein syndrome plus one. Exactly. You created him, you killed him, and now you're directing him. I know. I hope <laughs> it happens. I want to I wanna bring Kane Hodder back. As, uh, oh, yeah. He's kind of the classic uh, Jason Voorhees, Kane Hodder. Now, you he, know, played him, he played him like four times, you know. He did, yeah. To me, to, to me though, to me, the best, the best Jason, aside from Kane, was Ted White, the guy that played Jason in part four. Ted White is a major Hollywood stuntman. He doubled John Wayne. He doubled oh, wow. Charl- Charlton Heston. This guy was 62 or 3 or something when he played Jason. I know him today. He's in his 80s, and he still could kick my ass, your ass. He's <laughs> such a badass guy, even in his 80s, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but Kane, you know, Kane, we do a lot of conventions together, you know. I love Kane, so I want to bring him back if I can. We're having a great conversation here with Tom Savini, the godfather of gore and the duck slayer. We'll be back after we find out what's going on with our Sexy Beast sponsors. This is Talk is Jericho. Stick around. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho.
Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. Tom Savini is here. You were talking about how uh, you created Jason Voorhees, how you created all the zombies on Dawn of the Dead. Obviously not knowing how iconic these movies would become at the time. What were the budgets like? Was it hard for you to, to get the task of creating all these amazing creatures and deaths and monsters? Oh, I'm assuming it's probably not the biggest budgets that you had to work with. No, they were very tiny budget, but I never thought of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's, again, where my reputation uh, uh, came from, you know, getting a lot done on, on like, no money, you know. Um, I think Dawn was a million bucks, you know, maybe a million that's it. bucks. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it, was a, it was a little bit more for Day of the Dead. But, I mean, today, you know, all budgets are sky high today, you know, yeah. when there's zombie films, you know. Um, but um, I, I always think that limitations make you more creative. Not having enough money, not having enough people, mm-hmm. not having enough supplies. Then you've got to be more creative. And uh, that's, that's really where it comes from. That's where it flourishes, you know, having limitations. It almost seems like, I mean, I don't know how you feel about CGI nowadays, but it almost seems like, I'm sure it's three times as expensive, but it's probably hardly as creative as it was when you were working with, you know, 100 bucks and, and real pig entrails. How do you feel about uh, CGI? I, yeah. Well, no, I love CGI when it's done well. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's done well, it's just priceless, like all the stuff they did in uh, Lord of the Rings. And it was very minuscule. You take, they'd put a makeup on somebody, mm-hmm. but then they would just enlarge the eyes or something with CGI. Right. A lot of, a lot of uh, practical makeup effects in Lord of the Rings and movies like that. So I think when it enhances, if the movie is all about those special effects, you tune out. Mm-hmm. As an audience, you tune out. That's why reality shows are so great popular today, because you want to see people, you want to see characters, you want to see interaction, you know? If it's yeah. all about special effects, you know, it's just like watching, you know, fireworks into oblivion. Eventually, you, you will get bored, you know? Um, yeah. And I wish, we, I wish we had it, you know, back when I was trying to solve problems, you know, like hiding an edge or creating, you know, um, it's just, and it is very expensive, and now there's a war kind of an unspoken war between practical effects and, and CGI effects. In fact, some of the recent movies, like the remake of Evil Dead, was bragging that it used no CGI. It was all practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the new Star Wars movie that's coming out, J.J. Abrams, is having puppets built. He's doing a lot of practical Oh, wow. Stuff. He's having practical stuff, a lot of practical stuff, in the new Star Wars. So there's kind of like this collective dislike of bad CGI. In fact, three major visual effects companies have gone bankrupt because they're sending it overseas. They're sending it to uh, you know China, India, mm-hmm. someplace, visual effects. So um, that's also you know hurting the CGI business, which is great for me because, you know, Shows like Face Off, which are, are, are uh, real as far as deadlines and having to uh, create something, um, make special makeup effects a, a celebrity today. Sure. You know? so, um, so it does me good. It does the school good because we teach special makeup effects. You know? So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a long answer to your question about no. CGI, but, but that's how I feel. I, you know, I, I like it when it's done well, um, and uh, I st- but I still love... You know, when you watch Rick Baker's werewolf transformation in American World, that's happening right in front of you. It's classic. It's happening yeah. right there. When you watch my stuff in the movie, it's happening right there yes. in front of you. A camera is on what's happening. It's not added later, you know, like CGI. Sure, sure. I mean, you mentioned bad CGI. If you look at some of like, the sci-fi network uh, CGI they use, which looks so fake, like a cartoon, and you go back to some of the Ray Harryhausen stuff from the 50s and 60s, it's a little bit jerky, but it looks a million times better, and that's all built well, with glad, puppets and dolls. I'm glad you said that because, you know, I went and I saw Clash of the Titans, the new one. Right? Yes, and I had to go home and put on Ray Harryhausen's ant- as an antidote. Yeah. So, as a, I as a cleanser, seen. as a palate cleanser. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, the, uh, you, over the years, like you said, you acted as well as doing FX, and then you slowly got out of the special effects and straight into acting uh, pretty much exclusively and directing. What was your um, mindset in, in kind of giving up uh, on FX and going specifically into, into the other side of the camera? Well, um... What did I have a mindset? I think it just evolved, you know. So, yeah. You know, it's like it's like human existence. We're not aware of the evolution taking place, but it happens. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I, ju- it just kind of evolved, you know. Uh, 
you know, I think the last movie I did physical effects on was called Mr. Stitch. We did that in, in France with Richter Hauer, and there was a lot of stuff in that, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I guess right after that, I started getting parts. I mean, I was doing, uh, I think Dust Till Dawn was shortly after that, you know, and that, yeah. you know, having, a, having a, uh, an iconic, it wasn't a big part, but it was iconic as far as playing Sex Machine and wearing the big gun, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, sex, sex, sex Machine had like a, like an athletic cup and it would it would drop down and a pistol would come out where your cock would be and then where the balls would be were two ammo chambers and you would shoot uh, the vampires know, from your from your lower abdominal area. I promise you, I'm sitting at conventions and guys <laughs> would walk up, they look at the picture of the dick guy and it's like, how did the bullets get into the... Into the ch- listen. It's only a movie. That's know? right. But how, how yeah, was it? I mean, Rodriguez, Rodriguez is shooting right now the Das Dawn television series. Oh wow! It's that movie broken up into ten episodes. Okay. Okay. And it's on. It's going to be on something called the El Rey Network. Oh yeah, that's like the new uh, the new Mexican channel that's starting up. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping to play or to to redo Sex Machine in that. But it's all a bunch of new actors. Sure. Know? Clooney, Tarantino, they're all being replaced, you know. So, well, it, it, and it, it's interesting because um, I just watched Machete Kills. That's exactly how yeah. I thought about having you on the show. And okay. Sofia Vergara has the, uh, the dick gun. She's my dick gun. Yeah, she stole I know, it. I, saw it. I, was at the <laughs> premiere. I was at the premiere, and Robert Rodriguez is sitting right behind me. And when I saw that, I told him, I'm like, what? Hey. Well, well I'm passing on the torch, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, at least it's to that a girl. Was, how, that movie was hilarious. How, how is it? I mean, you seem to be kind of one of the go-to guys for, for, for Robert Rodriguez and for Quentin Tarantino. How is it working with those guys? I mean, you're talking about some pretty, uh, some pretty high-level, iconic directors there. Oh, I know, I know. I told uh, at, the, at the premiere of Machete Kills, Robert brought me on stage, and I said that, you know, Robert, you, you fill the Schopenhauer definition of what a genius is, and that is that, you know, talent hits a target no one else can. Genius hits a target no one else can see, even, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the way these guys are. They're, you know, Quentin is just, you know. He shot Django Unchained with one camera and bragged about when, when we finally were killed, when all of us trackers are sitting in the shed and Jamie Foxx comes in and blows us all away. Right. Yeah, we're all we're all sitting there with squibs all over us. There's <laughs> hundreds of squibs. The the wine, the food, the cars, everything is squibbed. You know, you know. And like yes. thirty seconds before thirty seconds before it goes off, he makes an announcement that this is the sixteen hundredth setup with one camera. That's how they made the old movies. That's how John Ford made movies. Yeah, Quentin is so caught up in the pictures. They're not movies. They're pictures. You know? <laughs> Films. Like studio studio moguls called them. Yeah. And but Robert is the opposite. He'll use CGI and anything he can out of the toolbox, you know. But Quentin and Quentin, you know, they're both just thirteen-year-old kids. Yeah. That have these great toys, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, and they also have a very uh, a lot of respect and an affinity for seventies films. I mean, that's what the whole Grindhouse. Uh, yeah, movie was based absolutely. on it. All of their movies have, you know, they're using 70s music, they're using the 70s kind of uh, zoom-in close-ups, especially yeah. Machete. I mean, that, 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 that is a movie made in the 70s that got transported into, you know, the 2000s. Exactly. Now that's, uh, and that's, um, I mean, a quick story about Quentin. I mean, his sets are a lot of fun uh, because he'll, he'll do like seven or eight takes. Mm-hmm. Then he'll announce, he'll announce to the cast and the crew, okay, we're going to do one more. Why? And the whole, cla- whole cast and crew chimes in singing, because we love making movies. <laughs> you know? so he, I heard about that happening, and I was involved in it on, uh, you know, on Django. Uh. And, um, you know, on Django, um, uh, you know when the, when the slave guy is up the tree and I have him up there with the dogs, the attack dogs? Yes. Okay. When he comes down, they attach a fake arm to him, and the dog is supposed to, you know, rip it off, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but then he has his real arm behind his back. So, I mean, uh, but every take you could see the guy's real arm, you know? Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to say anything because it's just my friends. The K&B is doing the effects, you know. But Quentin happened to walk by and we're chatting between takes. And I said, do you remember when I did that effect in uh, Day of the Dead? Because the guy gets his arm ripped off in Day of the Dead. Right. And, of course, Quentin had seen it because he'd seen everything ever made, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, we dug a hole in the ground so the guy's real arm would fit in the hole. And the only arm you see is the fake arm, and the guy lies there. 
And he says, um, yeah, but what if the dogs drag him? I said, well, you, you know, you put one of those anchors that you put in the ground for lights and stuff, and the guy with his arm behind his back can just hold on to it, you know? Right. Said, but, don't, but don't say that I said anything, okay? <laughs> so he goes back, he goes back, and he's, you know, setting up a shot, and like uh, and 10 minutes later, he says, why don't you guys dig a hole under that guy? So the arm, and they were like, he no, no, it's going to work. I think it'll work. So they did it, and it was beautiful. Seven takes, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, f- five minutes later, I'm standing there, and Quentin walks by, and he puts something in my hand. And I look, and it's five bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay? So he says, we have a tradition on my set so that somebody from another department helps a different department. It's called the $5 shot, you know. So I became the $5 shot hero. But he said, never before has an expert in this other department made a comment that solved the problem, you know. So wow. That and- was a big moment. That was a big moment for me. I made him sign it, and I, I framed the five, you know. It's like a big deal. That's so cool. And isn't K and B Nicotero's company? That's right, exactly. So there you go. You were like telling the young the youngster, "Hey, buddy, you don't know everything yet. Come talk to the master." Yeah, but I didn't want him to know that I said. <laughs> sure, that, sure, sure. Yeah, but but, but, it, but no, but it became a big deal later because I became the five dollar hero guy. You know, <laughs> but the, but the point is, the point is that's what it's like on a Tarantino set. It's very, the atmosphere is just so pleasant, so. Uh, rewarding, so enlightening. You know? mm-hmm. and yeah. the, I mean, yeah, the mo- uh, the movies are always great. And once again, I love the fact how he'll he shows respect. Like you said, he's seen everything ever, so he'll bring you know Tom Savini on set and use Don Johnson and use you know John Travolta and all these kind of guys exactly. from from another yeah. era. You know, yeah. I thought I thought Django. I mean, it's always hard to to compare with Pulp Fiction, but I thought it was definitely one of his best movies for sure. Yeah, you know, I, and I just rewatched Inglorious Bastards. Another great uh, one. Too, and that's just that's just a brilliant movie, visually stunning. You know, absolutely. His cinematography is is just off the charts. You know, yeah, you, you, yeah. You, you've kept mentioning your your Tom Savini special makeup effects program that you have in Pittsburgh. Tell us about what what the students learn and and what you teach them when they come to your school. Is this something that runs year round? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's 18 months. I mean, we're not kidding around. There are schools that are four months, 11 weeks, you know. Yeah. But, you know, you, you can't even learn it in the 16 months. Or the, you know, it's you, you are constantly learning. So uh, my school is like the number one school there is because of that. Mm-hmm. The longest, longest program there is, 16 months. The semesters start uh, February, June, and October. So if you come in... From any of those points, it's 16 months, you know, to graduate. And um, it's a degree program. Not okay. a degree. It's the only makeup effects. And the parents love that. Parents yeah. love that. <laughs> and the students, And the students' attitude is, this is school? You know, because they're having so much fun. Yeah, you know, sure. Making their dream. They've nicknamed it Savini High. You know, I mean, I love that. <laughs> you know, Savini Land, Savini High, you know. Uh, tomorrow, I, I was supposed to do it yesterday, but... Uh, uh, because of the weather and stuff here, I do a seminar with uh, the new students that come in. The, the the new semester comes in, or it came in Friday, Thursday. I'm sorry, and they have a seminar. I, I they spend their first couple of days with me mm-hmm. uh, doing a seminar where you know um, I chat with them, I answer questions, and uh, I ask them some questions like, uh, "Do you know who Boris Karloff is?" And you know. Most of them don't know that. Isn't that amazing? You know, isn't that amazing? You know, it's like asking a new wrestler, you know, who's Bruno Sammartino? And if someone doesn't right. know, it's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you in this for? If you're interested in it, God, do some research. You know. Yeah, I mean, you should just Find know that. The best guys were, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's just stuff I'm that... You, I'm glad you said Bruno, because that's Pittsburgh. That's him. Yeah, Pittsburgh that's area. Him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, was, that was me growing up with Bruno, yeah. <laughs> but, so so, so, um, so students come, and they have like a 16th-month program. Obviously, you have instructors. You can't be there for 16 months with all the other stuff that you do. How, how, yeah. how, how often do you appear at the school, and how often are you there? Well, if I'm in town, I'm there once or twice a week, and what I'm doing is making sure that their photos. We have a photo studio there. We got a full time, you know, guy that teaches photography there, mm-hmm. and make sure that they're putting their photographing everything they do. And th- listen, there's no formula for success, but here's what works, um, and it works for it works for makeup effects. It works for acting. You know, mm-hmm. if you're an actor, you put together an acting reel and you put that in front of people that can help or hire you. Now, so I make sure that they're photographing everything they do and keeping a portfolio. You know, today you can have a portfolio on your phone, which is something you have with you all the time. Sure. You can put it on a flash drive on your keychain. It's great to have a hard copy, you know, in your car. 
Because really, you do not know when you're going to meet that person who can help or hire you. For me, the two biggest things that happened in my life was because I had my portfolio in the car. So when I was in the right place at the right time, I was ready. So that's what I drum into their head. So if I'm in town, I'm there at least you know once or twice a week, uh, making sure that that's happening. Okay. So what you said that you had. What was the time that you had your portfolio in your car and, and got a gig out of it? Well, in the early 70s, I was in the bar. I, I don't drink, but I was painting signs for this bar, and I was delivering them. And there was a guy <laughs> sitting in the corner. He looked like Indiana Jones, leather jacket, fedora, you know. Yeah. <laughs> started chatting, and he had just done this movie called uh, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. He was the art director on that movie. And I showed him my portfolio. Three days later, Chris, I was in Florida doing their next movie, which was... Uh, Death Dream. And this is a Bob Clark film. Bob oh. Clark, who did Porky's and yes. Murder by Decree and, uh, and um, Christmas Story. Yeah, <laughs> it was Bob Clark back then. So three days after I showed my portfolio to some stranger in the bar, who yeah. I didn't know I was going to meet, I'm doing my first movie, you know. And then we did the second movie in Canada, uh, Deranged. And then, uh, you know, some years went by before I came back to Pittsburgh and did, you know, Martin and Don, and the rest is history, you know. And talking about just never knowing where you're going to get work, and I just got hip to this yesterday. In uh, 2010, you're very good friends with Jerry Lawler. He was running uh, the Memphis Wrestling TV show, and you were the evil heel that was blaming Lawler for the death of Andy Kaufman and sent your, sent your movie monsters to, uh, to uh, get revenge. I sent Jason, I sent, I don't know who else I sent, I forget now, but... Uh, Joker Joker I, Boy or something, Joker Wild or something? Some, I don't know, but those, I hear those things are on YouTube because I really want to see them, I've I, never seen them. I watched them last night, I watched them last, it was awesome. So it is on YouTube? It is on YouTube, just type, okay, in, type in Tom Savini, Jerry Lawler, and the uh, whole angle is there. How, how did that ever come to, to fruition? Well, that was Jerry's idea, of course, you know. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, at that Royal Rumble, you were, you were in Pittsburgh the day before that, uh, when it was here. Yeah. You know, and I, and I go, Jerry, Charlie Robinson, the, you know, they invite me backstage, but, you know, I have more of an in now because I'm designing Triple H's new uh, crown helmet. Uh, you know, the last one was silver. He wants a gold one. So I had to fit him on that. So, you know, I'm... I hang out and I find out, you know, Randy Orton will walk in, hey, Sex Machine or MVP or, you know, by, by Paul White, Big Show. They're fans. They're well, yeah. Fans of mine, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that, like I said, like for me, I, I know we met at the comic convention, but just to see you backstage, it's always kind of cool to see Tom Savini hanging out. And plus, you have such respect for, for the guys and for. for yeah. How, how, have you been a wrestling fan your whole life? Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I see them, and I even said this in the. In the ad in the letter that I wrote uh, for, for the Crown for Triple H, that I see these guys as uh, you guys mm-hmm. uh, as gladiators in a professional athletic stunt show. You know, yeah, that's how I see it. You know? But speaking of that, if I don't mind, you don't mind me asking you a question. You know, uh, sure. Um, everybody, my friends, all wonder. Uh, the rumor is that you've retired, but you know, I know how it works. You know, you're, you're probably going to be back, aren't you? Or, well, it's it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like what we, what we were just talking about with you. It's like you came in sort of as an FX guy and transitioned into an actor, and it's kind of the same thing with me. I mean, I still love the WWE, and I would still go back under the right circumstances if it was something interesting. But I've yeah. got other stuff going on that's been going yeah. really good for me as well. So you know, I, I think you can understand. Yeah, um, it's a great feeling. It's a it great is. Feeling. It is. You know, I, I think when you when you're at the end of your run, if you can, uh, you know, go out on your own terms or move on in your own terms, it's a lot better than waiting for them to take you out behind the barn and, and put a bullet in your head, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, that's never going to happen to you, of course. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, but I mean, um, yeah, I, I would I would definitely, uh, yeah, I, I would never say the word retire, so I'm sure yeah. at some point I'll go back, and you know, like I said, in, in the meantime, it's fun doing all these other cool things that I'm yeah, getting the chance to do. Batista just came back. He did, yeah, and he'd been yeah, gone I mean, for like four years, so, you yeah, know. Yeah, he made a couple of movies, you know. And yeah. Then, uh, once you get to a, you know, once you get once you get to a certain level, it's the same as you. If you called, you know, whoever and said I want to do FX on the next whatever movie, they'd bring yeah. you in in a second. You know, once you get yeah. to that certain yeah. level of notoriety, you kind of can call your own shots. That's good when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. you you you're making Triple H's uh, uh, crown. You said, have you made stuff for the WWE before, or is this the first time? 
No, that's the first time. That's great. Well, they, they picked yeah. the right guy for it. Absolutely. Tom, oh, yeah. uh, what what else do you have coming up? Are you, you said you're getting ready to maybe direct some movies and some more acting at all anytime soon? Well, there's a lot of scripts here and a lot of conversations, but, you know, like no contracts, you know, yet. Sure, sure. Um, I don't, uh, I don't really, I've learned some, I learned some lessons the hard way. I don't, I don't even get involved with the project unless half the money's up front. And hey, of course. To me. Yeah. Because then, you know, then, you know, they're kind of serious, you know, but I'm also doing um, uh, biography, an autobiography that's going to be out on Halloween. Oh, wow. This year. So I'm constantly writing and writing now. Um, and getting all these photos together for that. Yeah. I'm trying to get in that TV show, The Arrow. Uh-huh. So it's my agent. You know, I, you know, I'm here in Pittsburgh. I'm not in Hollywood knocking on doors every day. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky, though. I'm lucky I can be here. You know, they call me and I go where they are. So yes. um, that's, that's what it's about. You're waiting for the next phone call. You know? uh, absolutely. And in the meantime, it's Tom Savini's special makeup effects program. Go to www.dec.edu slash TS. That's the, uh, the university where, where, where the, the, uh, the class takes place. And Actually, it's, it's simpler just to go to my website, okay. Savini.com. Savini.com. Remember, just Savini.com. <laughs> <laughs> and you can link right to the school. There are lots of other things I, right through there. I was trying to get fancy. Just forget what I said and go to Savini.com or else Tom <laughs> will come and put a machete in your head. Oh, yeah. But people want me to do that. I know. Exactly. Hey, go to Savini.com and you can uh, learn how to put a machete in your own head. That's right. And there's journals from all the movies that I've worked on as an actor and, you know, lots of photo albums. It's a pretty wild place. That's very cool. Tom, thank you so much for being uh, on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for calling me out of the blue. I I totally was uh, enamored and honored that you had contacted me. Like I said, I just happened to, I was a big fan of Machete when it came out. And when I saw number two and I saw you on there, I was like, I got to get Tom on the show. He'd be super interesting. Yeah. And I was right. It was it was great to have you, man. And oh, look, look forward to, to running into you again soon sometime. Okay. Take care, Tom. Thank you. Well, thanks, Chris. And best of luck with the show and everything. Thanks to the godfather of gore, Tom Savini. Such great stories. What a pioneer. What a legend in the world of horror movies. And thanks to all of you for listening to Talk is Jericho. Uh, I'm excited to continue the ball rolling here at WWE Australia. We've got uh, Sydney tonight on Friday, tomorrow night in Perth. Head back to the States with the crazy trip of uh, Perth to Sydney, five hours. Sydney to L.A., 17 hours. L.A. to Portland, three hours. And then we have Raw, Monday Night Raw in Portland. Um, Very, very excited about that. Fozzie hitting the road again in September. So go check that out. All the Fozzie tour dates at FozzieRock.com with Theory of a Dead Man starting September 17th in um, Phoenix, Arizona. Tempe, Arizona, to be exact. Lots of cool stuff going on. San Jose, August 16th. SummerSlam in Los Angeles, August 17th. So many cool things. So come on down. Come check out uh, Y2J at all of the amazing places that I'm going to be. Also got some in-store appearances, which, of course, are uh, signings for Do You Want to Start a War? Come down to your local record store. We've got Portland on Monday, August 11th at Music Millennium. We've got Las Vegas, August 18th at Zia Records. Uh, September 1st in Des Moines at the FYE Jordan Creek Town Center. October 2nd in Baltimore at the Soundgarden. October 3rd in Knoxville at Disc Exchange. October 10th in Rochester at the Record Archive. All of those dates, plus all the tour dates, which I will get into more detail in uh, a couple upcoming weeks, available now at FozzyRock.com. All right, thanks to all of you who picked up the new Fozzy record, Do You Want to Start a War? We played Witchery, the scariest song on the record earlier. Like I said, we're going to be hitting the road with Theory of a Dead Man starting September 17th in uh, in uh, Tempe, Arizona. And as promised, a few shout-outs to some of you who took the time to give me some ratings and comments on iTunes. James Card, WH217, Darcy, Jeremy Forehand, Y Foxes, and Miss Lippy. I love Miss Lippy. All gave us five-star ratings, and thanks so much to them, and thanks so much to Mick Dizzle 7 He commented, thanks for the laughs on the ride to work and Jeff cam seven, eight said he won't ever miss an episode. 
big ups to all of you for listening. Wouldn't be doing this if not for all of you. Thank you so much. And wouldn't be doing this if not for my sponsors. Let me drop two shows every week for you for free for twice a week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm having a blast doing these shows. Hope you're having a blast listening to them. If you want to help support the show, easiest way to do that is do your online shopping through my Amazon links. They're easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Bar Podcast free banner at the top of the page. Click on Talk is Jericho, and you see all three of my Amazon links, UK, US, and Canada. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for a week. No hidden fees or extra charges. You're just getting your shopping done, helping me out, helping the show in the process. Thank you so much. And guys, you are the coolest. You are the sexiest. You are the gingiest. We will see you next week. But until then, that's it. In the meantime and in between time, another edition of Talk is Jericho. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. We will see you soon with some amazing guests as always next week. Take care, be cool, and a big yeah boy. So many screams, so little time. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.